All right, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 19 is where we will be today. We are going to read the whole chapter. Uh, if you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the seat back of the chairs that you can borrow. And uh, let's go ahead and get started. 1 Samuel chapter 19. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, uh, but Jonathan Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not, the king, let, not the king's sin, or excuse me, let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hands, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to, all those, reported to him all those things, or all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in the house with the spear in his hand and David was playing the lyre and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in, in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michael, why have you decided or de why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped and he came to Samuel at Ramah. And told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived in Naoth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is in Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. And they all prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Seku, or Seku, and he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are in Naoth in Ramah. 
And he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied into he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah, and he too stripped off his clothes, and his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all day and all night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so as we are walking through 1 Samuel, um, it's getting pretty interesting. We're starting to see Saul and his erratic behavior, and we're starting to see, or we continue to see David being patient with his friend Saul. We talked about last week how uh, Saul was no friend of David. Uh, he saw David as an enemy, but David was a friend of Saul, and uh, he tried everything he could to minister to his friend. Uh, but it's getting harder and harder for David to do that. Um, if we are going to look at at First Samuel chapter 19 and, and try to determine what a theme is within this chapter, I would say the general theme here is is how God protects his elect, God how God protects his called, his children. Uh, that's something that we do see here, and it is a wonderful and encouraging blessing to to read that in scripture and how God protects those whom he loves. But more importantly, I think this chapter helps us to understand why and how the Lord moves in the lives of his creatures. I I think that's the more important thing for us to focus on this morning. Why and how the Lord moves in the lives of his creatures and also his creation. So if I were to say like, okay, what's the theme of this of this chapter? What are we going to focus on? I would relate it to divine providence, God's divine providence, and, and how he governs his creatures and his creation to accomplish his will. I think that's what really sticks out in this chapter, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but before we get to breaking down what chapter 19 says, I want to back up just with a quick summarization of, of where we were to where we are at now. Um, starting in 1 Samuel 15, we see that the Lord rejects Saul. Uh, because Saul is continually disobedient to the Lord. And uh, he rejects Saul as king, leaves him there in his, uh, on, on the throne for now, but uh, tells him he will, the, the, the kingdom will be torn from him and he will be replaced by another. Um, and then we also see when the Lord rejects Saul, Samuel, who is the high priest of the nation, leaves Saul's presence and doesn't see Saul again until, uh, basically until he dies. Uh, so Samuel, that, is, that was a, 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 a sign, so to speak, for Saul that, that he was being rejected as king. Uh, the high priest of the nation was leaving him. Usually the high priest stayed near the king and ministered to them and helped them. Uh, but Samuel leaves his presence. Uh, then we also see that David is anointed king. This private ceremony, David is anointed the new king of Israel, but uh, David is told it's not going to happen now. It, it's, it's in the works. God will make a way for you, but you will be the new king. Then we see at the same time that Saul is rejected and then David is anointed the new king. We see the Holy Spirit uh, leaves Saul, uh, the Holy Spirit leaving Saul. In other words, uh, the ability he had to carry out his ministry as a king left him because the Holy Spirit left him and it entered into David. So we start to see a drastic turn in Saul's life whenever the Holy Spirit uh, leaves him. Uh, he starts to do wicked, wicked things. And, and here in chapter 19 is evidence of that. And then David, David begins to do these wonderful, miraculous and godly things. Um, the Lord then blesses David and curses Saul. 
And then in chapter 18, we see that Saul tries to kill David. And then that, that whole thing kind of continues through chapter 19. I'm just trying to give you better context of where we were and where we're at today so that you can uh, kind of see how God is directing things behind the scenes. And what's awesome about that is that if we were to go back and recap our life like I just did here, uh, these, these three chapters, if we were to go back and recap our life, we would see how God is working behind, behind the scenes in our lives as well. So, but all along, we see the Lord's sovereignty displayed in the, pre- in the preservation of David's life, number one, but also in the affliction of Saul's life. And I'd like to go back and say, not only do we see the Lord present in the preservation of David's life, but we also see him present in his affliction as well. Um, you know, because everything David's going through, it's just not, it's not pleasant. It's very difficult, but yet the Lord is behind it all and he has a reason for it. Now, what's on display here is that, uh, is, is that there are several things or several powers at work here. We see earthly powers and then we see divine powers. The earthly powers are found in the two kings that are here in our chapter. Uh, we see King Saul, uh, the current king, and then we see David, who's, gonna, who's the king that's going to replace Saul. So we see the power of, of those kings, but they, they do not stand in comparison to the one true king. They, they do not. Because we see the power of the one true king uh, being displayed over the majesty and the power of these earthly kings. It, it's no match, not, not at all. See, they make plans, but the Lord frustrates those plans to bring about his own will. It doesn't matter what they try to do. Uh, the Lord is the one who is directing all things. So 1 Samuel 19 shows us that God's will stands alone. There's nothing that can stand against it. His will stands alone and his will is working towards an ultimate purpose and a definite end. And I'm so grateful for that, that there is purpose to this life. There's purpose to this world. There's purpose to creation. And uh, there's there's a definite end that someone is in control of that. That makes me feel safe, number one. But that that makes me have hope that we're not in a lost world and that we're just not just getting by. But someone, someone's at work and someone is accomplishing his will through everything that goes on. So before we dive into the text, I just want to pray that the Lord give us wisdom to understand, a conviction is to our hearts, and then also that we have courage to respond because it does, it does take courage to respond to God in obedience. And I pray that we have that as we listen. Uh, first of all, let me give you context within chapter 19. Uh, this is where we get to exegete the passage and, and, uh, and, and really determine the context and what's happening here within uh, this chapter. Uh, we see that Saul seeks to kill David. So the method in which Saul uses to try to kill David, it changes from 18 to 19. Uh, in chapter 18, Saul tried, he tried one time to kill David, or actually twice to kill David directly. Uh, it was the same moment, he just missed, and then he tried again. And he missed again, but he threw a spear and, and uh, you know, missed David, and David was able to escape from him. Uh, this time, he uses a more, um, he, he used, after that, he used a more indirect approach. When that didn't work, uh, he tried to put David in situations where he would be killed. So he tried to put him in situations where, uh, against the Philistines, 
uh, where the Philistines could come against him and kill him. Uh, he, he promised one of his daughters to David as long as David went and, and, and killed, um, you know, 100 men of the Philistines. I can't remember the, the exact number, uh, but David went above and beyond and killed twice as much as Saul told him to do. And so no matter what or where uh, Saul placed David to try to organize it to where he would be killed by the Philistines, God gave David success over his enemies. But here in uh, 1 Samuel 19, look what verse 1 says. It says that Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. So the reason why I say is that the mode or the method changes for Saul in trying to kill David is because here it's more direct. Instead of trying to place David in situations where he might die, Saul just outright told his son and his servants, David needs to die. It, it's time. He needs to be killed. In other words, um, if we were watching a, a mafia movie, this would be a hit that, that uh, Saul is putting on David's life. And he's going through his son and he's going through his servants in order for that to happen. Now, we can see what's driving Saul. He's jealous of David. But not only that, the Bible has said a couple of times already that the fear of God's anointing over David's life is what's making him desperate. Saul recognizes that David has the spirit of God. Why? Because Saul once had the spirit of God. And Saul knew how the spirit made him succeed and how it blessed him. And now he sees that upon David's life and he, he's threatened by that. So he fears David in one way, but in the other way, he's extremely uh, jealous of David. And that jealousy has led to hatred and he wants him gone. But here's the interesting thing. In chapter 18, we saw several times where David was, what, what he was thinking. He was thinking, well, if I put David here, then the Philistines will come and get him. Well, if I, if I, if I, can, if I have David marry one of my daughters, she's going you know, to be a burden to him. And then also the Philistines would hate him, and then they may kill him. So it's all these things going on in his head that he, this is what he wants to happen to David. But notice the shift uh, now he's not only thinking or what he had been thinking in his head now is verbalized to his son and to his servants. He, he can't contain it anymore. The hatred that he has for David, the jealousy, all of that, he cannot contain it anymore. Now, that made me think of an important side note. Now, you could preach a sermon all on that if you wanted to. But uh, an important note on this is that that's the one of the problems because there are many, but that's one of the problems uh, that occurs whenever we have envy in our hearts and we have ungodly anger. Right. When we have ungodly anger, we have envy, we have jealousy, we're coveting uh, whatever sin you want to recognize there. Uh, it saturates the heart. It, it, it just it, it goes in and it may start off small, but it completely saturates the heart. It drowns the heart. Uh, it makes one miserable and then whatever is in the heart, it rises to the surface, proceeds out of the mouth. We, we can't help it. It is always displayed through sinful action and attitude. It's just a matter of time. That's why it's so important for us to recognize ungodly anger. It's so important for us to recognize envy, covetousness. All those things that are sins against God. And that's why we need to recognize them and repent from them. Because not only we hear it a lot where those things, they affect our health. 
But that's, that's barely scratching the surface. They not only affect our physical health, they affect our spiritual health as well. So now going back to the story at hand, we see that Saul failed to carry out his plan. Uh, he, he failed, or he failed uh, miserably. Uh, Jonathan, we see, comes to the aid of, of David and convinces Saul that uh, he was sinning against the Lord and also he was sinning against David. And we see that in verses 1 through 7. Uh, Saul himself tried to pin David to the wall again here in chapter 19. Uh, but David eluded him and escaped him, verses 8 through 10. You see the, uh, how desperate Saul is getting here. Uh, Saul sent messengers, after David eluded him, Saul sent messengers uh, to David's house. And the Bible says messengers, but when you look at that, it's someone who, a messenger is someone who had a message to deliver for, on behalf of somebody else. But also, a messenger was someone who carried out actions for somebody else. So in this case... Uh, I told you, it's, it's like the mafia here. David, Saul is sending these messengers, in other words, hitmen, to go and deliver a message uh, to David for him. And that message is, I want to kill you. And that was it, what they were sent to do. So these messengers, these hitmen, were sent to kill him at his home. But his wife, his wife Michael, who is Saul's daughter, helped him escape. And we see that in verses 11 through 17. Then we see David, that he sought refuge with Samuel, and Samuel took David away to elude Saul. We see that in verses 18 and 19. Then Saul sent messengers, not once, not twice, but three times, to go and find David. Uh, but the Lord stepped in and protected him, and we see that in verses 20 through 21. And then finally, just tired of everything, Sending the messengers, they, they're not doing their job, trying to get everybody to do his dirty work. Saul's like, I'm going to go take care of this myself. And so Saul went to kill David himself. He actually found him, but was not able to kill him. We see that in verses 22 to 24. Now, what's awesome about this is that, you know, David, of course, Saul had his plans in place. And it seemed like he had not only... The, the, the initial plan in place, but he had some backup plans as well. But no matter what he tries to do, no matter what he tries to do, the things that he plans out do not match up with what the Lord's will is. We see how David or, or Saul's will succumbs to the Lord's will. No matter what he tries to do, he cannot succeed in bringing about the plans of his heart. And we see how the Lord's purpose prevails over Saul's. Now, when I look at that and I think about my own life, I see the same thing happening. There are so many things that, that, that I've done and I've planned to do, and yet the Lord has different plans and I stand here before you. And it's the same thing for all of us, and we'll get there, but I, I really want to emphasize that. That this is not just happening to Saul here or to David, but this is the character of the Lord. This is how he rules his creation. He is sovereign. He is God alone. Now, to give you an example here, I, I want to split Saul's purpose and his plan and then also make the providence of the Lord very clear here. So I want to tell you what Saul had planned out, 
but also what the Lord, uh, what, what he did in that situation. Uh, and those events that I just gave you, uh, the first one where he tells Jonathan, I want you to kill uh, David. Uh, Jonathan, we understand, is Saul's son, right? So he is the prince, so to speak. He's the next in line. He's the heir th- to the throne. So you would think like, okay, David, if Saul's going to Jonathan and telling him, I want you to kill David, the reason why I want you to kill him is because I have a feeling that he's going to overthrow or overtake our throne. And that not only affects me, Jonathan, but also affects you. You're next in line to the throne, so you need to go and kill him because we're going to lose everything if we don't do something about it now. So it it would make sense. This This is Saul's purpose and his plan, and it sounds, it looks concrete. What the Lord does is awesome. No doubt that, that uh, Jonathan was a valiant warrior. He, uh, he, he could go out, he can go, and do, uh, he can go and do what he needed to do. I think he could have he handled David, but the Lord gave him a heart for David. That's, that's awesome. The Lord gave David favor in the eyes of Jonathan. So much so that not only did Jonathan like him, but they were, they were true friends. They, they formed a covenant with one another. Jonathan would never raise his hand towards David. He understood God's calling on David's life, that David would be the next king. He submitted to David. He showed humility to David. He formed a covenant with David and said, I, I will not only serve you, but I will protect you for the rest of my life. See, the Lord did that. That's, that's just that blows my mind. But then next, we have another family member. Saul, he looked to Michael, his daughter. And in chapter 18, his thought process was, well, I'm going to have, I'm gonna have uh, David marry Michael so that she can be a snare to him. That was his plan. It's David's wife, but it's Saul's daughter. Well, the Lord changes that through his providence. How does the Lord change that? Well, Saul intended Michael to be a snare for David, but the Lord compelled her to love him. Dad's telling her to do one thing, but the Lord compels her in her heart. No, you're going to love your husband. You're going to love your husband and you're going to be committed to him more than what do what your dad wants you to do. This wicked thing your dad wants you to do. So the Lord compels her to love him and also to help him. Now, she does sin in helping him. And that's evident in our chapter. And God did not direct her to sin or make her sin. But the fact is, is that she helped David escape that night when he should have been killed. Then we see Samuel. Samuel's a high priest of Israel. He is supposed to serve the king. He is supposed to be side by side with the king. It's supposed to be, you know, just like Aaron and, and, and Moses, so to speak. But what happened here, and, and, and maybe uh, uh, Saul was counting on that, But what happened was that Samuel knew that Saul had been rejected. Why? Because the Lord had told him. And he also knew that David had been accepted by God as the anointed king of Israel. So he also helped David escape. Then we have the messengers that are sent. Now, let's let's think about this logically. These messengers were, were not probably just ordinary servants of Saul. These were highly skilled killers or else they wouldn't have been sent. They've already been sent once to his house. David evaded them because of Michael's help. But here, 
Saul sends three sets of highly skilled hitmen to take out David. Now, you would think, okay, the first set, you have three chances. Saul's going to succeed in doing what he wants to do. But then the Lord steps in. And this is what's really awesome in our passage. The Holy Spirit came upon the messengers. Came upon them. Overpowered them. And instead of them fulfilling Saul's purpose in killing David, the Lord overpowered them and used them for his own purpose. They came to kill David. The Lord overpowered them and used them to prophesy his word. It's like, wow. Now, I don't know what type of prophecy this was because when David first prophesied, it was all in song. David became this awesome singer and everybody was like, wow, David can sing. He's among the prophets. I have no idea. We're not told what type of prophecy this is, but um, but the fact is, or excuse me, Saul, Saul's, I, I'm, I'm having trouble getting all these names mixed up because they go hand in hand in hand. I saw Rob turn around and tell Laramie, so that cued me to be like, I said something wrong there. So Saul, when Saul first became king, he sang like he never sang before. And they said, well, Saul among the prophets. Now here we see the hitmen being sent the Lord, the, the spirit of the Lord overpowering them and using them for a different purpose. If that's not a picture of us, I don't know what is. We came into this world completely wicked. We had plans, evil plans of our own, evil desires of our own. And God took us and used us for his own purpose. Man. Then we see Saul, who's the rejected king of Israel. He's like, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm going to do all this myself. But then we see the Holy Spirit come upon Saul. And then we see what the Holy Spirit does to Saul. He humbles him. He humbles him and, 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 and he lets him know, you're not, you're not king over me. You do not rule over me. I am the true king of glory. Saul's overpowered by the Holy Spirit. He's humbled because he just takes off his clothes. He lies prostrate before the Lord and he prophesies as well. Instead of fulfilling his own purpose, the Lord used Saul to fulfill his purpose. See, no matter what Saul did to carry out his sinful, evil desires, Saul's plans were frustrated by the Lord. That's because the Lord had other plans and his will would not be denied. So that's the context that we're dealing with. Now, as we look at this context, there are some really important doctrinal or biblical truths here. Uh, one thing that I really want to po- point out is that, you know, how we, we plan our way, but the Lord is the one who directs our steps. See, the eternal king of glory is showing us that the will of kings, the will of people, and the will of creation is subservient to his own will. He does as he pleases. I was going over my sermon this morning, and I didn't have this illustration originally in the sermon, and I wrote it in um, today as I was going over it one final time. But I wanted to bring up Mr. Strait. Mr. Strait was uh, someone that I knew uh, in Quero when I grew up there. I was a child. And uh, Mr. Strait 
was probably about 50 years old at the time, uh, if not late 40s, early 50s. Uh, Mr. Strait was an awesome athlete. He was a running back for Crow way back in the day at Crow Gobblers, and he just an exceptional athlete. But when I knew Mr. Strait, uh, he would walk around all over town, and he uh, even walked with a cane. He would walk, and he he could walk normal. I don't, I'm not even sure. I don't know if the cane was uh, some kind of uh, tactic to make people think that he wasn't able, and yet he was, because I, the one thing I remember about Mr. Strait is that he used to play basketball with us. And it was weird because he'd walk up with that cane. I still can see him as clear as day right now. And uh, he'd watch us shoot and everything. And, of course, being a young kid, running my mouth, doing this, doing that. Come on, Mr. Strait, come on, you know. And then all of a sudden he puts the cane down, and the dude can ball. Like, uh, he, just, he just starts playing basketball. And I just remember how whenever he wanted to, um, he, when, he, when he asserted his will, there was nothing I could do. He was more powerful than I was. He was faster than I was. Shot better than I did. There was nothing that I could do. And it was funny because uh, he would let me play with him and let me do things as long as I kept my mouth shut, right? As long as I wasn't saying anything to him. But the moment I started doing stuff, he's like, all right, all right, you're about to learn. That, in a funny way, reminds me of the Lord and how he's over our lives. Uh, there's nothing we can do when the Lord exerts his power. Nothing. And the funny thing is, is that we, we think, we think we have this free will. We think that, you know, we, we have this whatever, we can just do whatever we want, and the Lord lets us to do that. But when the Lord shows us his might, when he shows us his presence, when he shows us his power, it's like, wow, yeah, I, I, I see, I see who you are, God. I'm nothing compared to you. See, from the beginning through now, oh, excuse me, let me back up. I want to give you this passage. Um, this is Proverbs 16, 9, and this is 16, 9, and this is where I got the point from. But the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. From the beginning through now and all the way to the end of the age, man has been and will be determined to carry out his own plans. That will never change, but God will always be there to frustrate those plans for the sake of his sovereign will. That's also never going to change. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Our will will never overcome his will. Listen to this out of Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Amen. See, in First Samuel, we have already seen God exert his will. We have already seen him frustrate the plans of many men. And one thing I want to add is that these men weren't just wicked men. These are godly men as well. For instance, Samuel had plans, and the Lord frustrated his plans. Saul had plans. David, Jonathan, they all had plans. But through it all, it was the, the will of the Lord that stood. When we talk about divine providence, 
Pastor Laramie read our uh, portion of our confession this morning, and I want to reference our confession here because I think it does a really great job talking about God's divine providence, how God governs his creation and governs his creatures. Um, I like the way paragraph five, or excuse me, chapter five, paragraph one is broken down in uh, the confession of faith, the London Baptist confession of faith. It arranges God's providence in three ways. It tells us what God is accomplishing through his providence. It tells us how he's accomplishing it. And it also tells us why he's accomplishing it. And I want to read that to you first. The what? When God is exerting his will, when he's uh, he's he's working out his providence in our lives. uh, This is what God is doing. God, the good creator of all things. In his infinite power and wisdom. Upholds, directs, arranges and governs all creatures and things from the greatest to the least. That, that's the what. Notice you're, you're included in that. You're not outside of that. In fact, no one is outside of that. Let, let, me, let me read that again. God, the creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, I don't know about you, but that doesn't describe us at all. We do not have infinite power or wisdom. He upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and all things from the greatest to the least. That's what God is doing with his providence. Then we get to the portion of the paragraph that describes to us how he is doing that. He does this by his perfectly wise and holy providence to the purpose for which they were created. So he's he's upholding, he's directing, he's arranging, he's governing all his creatures and things to the purpose for which they were created. And he's doing this perfectly. He governs according to his infallible knowledge and the free and unchanging, unchangeable counsel of his own will. That's how he is. That's how he is directing our lives. And then we get to the why. His providence leads to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness and mercy. And that's that's some great stuff. So the what God is. Up in, his, in his wisdom, he's upholding, directing, arranging, and governing all creatures and things from the greatest to the least. How is God doing it? Well, he's doing it perfectly uh, according to his wisdom and his holy providence. Uh, and and how, how is he doing it? He's, he's doing everything to the purpose for which he created them. And he, co- he, he governs according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will. Why is God doing it? Well, the reason why he's doing it is so that What he does in our lives and in the lives of every creature. The reason why he's doing it is so that praise so that the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power and justice and infinite goodness and mercy will be displayed and announced and recognized in our lives. See, first Samuel identifies God as the Lord of hosts. That's one of the names we have already heard. That means he is the ruler, commander of all the heavenly armies, all the heavenly bodies. He is the one true king. 
he alone. He is the one true king who directs all things according to his sovereign will. So through his divine providence, he is directing all things to the purpose for which they were created. If we look at our passage, Saul had a purpose. David had a purpose. And they were fulfilling the purpose for which they were created. When we look at this world, the wicked have a purpose. The righteous have a purpose. And they, were, they are created for which, uh, for which that purpose was given to them. Your life, your life, my life, is being upheld, it's being directed, it's being arranged and governed by God to the purpose for which it was created. If you ever doubt that your life has purpose, no, it, it has purpose. Everyone's life has purpose. It, it's just an honor for us, and I heard Pastor Laramie talking about this in Sunday school, it's an honor for us that we are vessels of mercy rather than vessels of wrath. We don't deserve what God is doing through our lives or mercy that we have received, but yet here we stand. Our life has purpose. See, in the New Testament, Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of us have repeated that prayer almost daily, if not daily, often, right? At least often. We repeat this prayer without hesitation, without blinking an eye. We're, we're praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But when God's will trumps our own, we're frustrated. We pray for it, but when it happens, it's like, well, I'm not happy about it. See, that frustration occurs because we experience two things, one or the other or both of them. We are frustrated when God's will trumps our own because we don't want to do or we do not want to experience the things God upholds, directs, arranges, or governs for us. We, we grow upset about that. We, we do not want to, as I said, experience or we do not want to do those things that his providence has placed in our lives. We think, I have other plans or I have a better idea for my life than God does. And we grow frustrated. Or we grow frustrated when we don't want to do the things according to God's word. We think, I should be able to decide what's good for me. We also think God would only want me to be happy. Where we, have a, where we make a mistake is that God wants us to be holy. And let me add this. If we have the spirit of God in us, the thing that would make us the happiest is being holy. Because it brings us pleasure to fulfill, the God's, to fulfill God's will. That's, that's what the Spirit of God is doing in us. But you look at the world, you look at the church, and it's a it's, it's similar problem here. It's either we don't want to experience the thing God, that God has for us, 
or we do not want to live according to his word. And when those two things are happening in our lives, then we are frustrated by the way things are going. Because I can guarantee if, we're, if this is our thought process here, then nothing we are praying for is, is, is coming to pass. Our lives are very frustrated. But regardless of what we feel or think about our circumstance, one thing is sure. We will all realize that God's will is sovereign. Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, moving on to application. How can we, what can we learn from all this? I, I think the biggest thing that we can learn from all this is that, yes, the Lord's will is, is separate from our own. He's, he's, he's holy. He's sovereign. When, the, when our will and the Lord's will do not match up, we're not going to win. The Lord's will always wins. The greatest thing that we can learn from this and accomplish through this is that we trust the will of the Lord. That we truly believe and hope for the will of the Lord to be done on heaven, on, on, on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's what I think that we can learn from all this. See, God's providence, divine providence, affects everyone and everything. As I said before, God not only frustrates the plans of the wicked, but also the elect too. I want you to think about David's life. He's not only frustrating Saul, but David, I'm sure David did not have the things that are going on in his life planned that way. I'm sure David did not hope for all this to happen, and yet it's happening to him. This week, or actually last week, because this is the first day of the week, but last week I found out we got some devastating news um, a friend of ours, Pastor Laramie and I, a friend of ours and a fellow pastor here in Victoria, Pastor Callie, um, who pastors uh, sermon, sermon at the Park a Church here in Victoria. It started at the park and it's kind of moved uh, to the outskirts of Victoria, but he's been faithfully pastoring that church for years. Uh, his wife was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and uh, she's 49 years old. And when you look at pancreatic cancer, it's, it's a really aggressive cancer. Um, in fact, 7% of people with pancreatic cancer live past five years. And then less than 2% live past 10 years. And again, she's 49 years old. I'm about to turn, I may look 60, but I'm about to turn 45. I'm going to beat y'all to the punch so they all, uh, I've already taken care of that. I'm about to turn 45. You're like, wow, 49 years old, pancreatic cancer. And you look at a situation like that and you're like, why? Why, Lord? This couple has been faithful in serving the Lord. I mean, I mean faithful. They spend time protesting and pleading with women not to kill their babies. They have a ministry. They had a ministry in San Antonio almost every weekend they were there, faithfully. Pleading with women. Don't do it. Ministering to women. 
ministering to families. Cheryl has been a, a faithful wife, faithful mother. Callie's written a book about abortion. She's supported him and all that stuff that they've done. As I said before, they faithfully led uh, the church that they are pastoring. You see, it's easy for us to look at Saul and say, okay, I see why God is doing that. Well, Saul, he's, he's being wicked, and that's why God's not going to let him be wicked like that. But this is not Saul here. These are people doing the will of the Lord. These are people doing the work of the Lord faithfully. I started to think about, you know, why? Do you think that her getting pancreatic cancer at 49 years old was a part of their plan? No. Do you think it's hard for them to make sense of all this? Yeah. One thing I know, because I know them, one thing I know is that even though this wasn't a part of their plan, even though it's going to be a process to make sense of all this, one thing I know is that my brother and my sister, they, they trust the providence of God. That's one thing I know. She has a long road ahead of her. It's not going to be easy. There may be questions that arise, doubt that arises. But I know that the work the Lord began in them, he's going to complete it in Christ Jesus. See, when we plan our own ways, a lot of times those plans are primarily focused on self or the people we love. But God's plans for your life, story of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. See, if I were a prosperity gospel preacher, we were a prosperity gospel church, I would, uh, I would focus on how God frustrated them. I would tell you that if you're wicked like Saul, then God's always going to frustrate your plans. I would encourage you by the wicked have again going to fail and only your plans are going to prosper. I may even misquote to you Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. I would do all that, right? I'd be wasting my time if I said all that. Because that is wrong. It's man-centric way of thinking. See, we may not fully understand what, how, or why God is doing something. No matter how difficult it is, how ugly it is, we, we may not understand what, how, and why God is doing something, but this is something we must know. We can trust him. He's already told us. He's working for our good and for his glory. He owes us no explanation. I know a lot of times we want an explanation for what's going on in our lives. He, he, he does not owe us that. We owe him our obedience and our trust. Because he has proven to us over and over again that he can be trusted. He has never forsaken us. He has never let us down. He never will. Our will is nothing, against, is nothing compared to his will. And that's okay. I'm grateful. 
I'm grateful for that, that there is someone in control of my life. There is someone in control of this world. There is someone in control of all creation. See, this is true in life and in death. No one controls their own holiness and no one controls their own destiny. Our lives are in the hands of God. We make plans and expect them to go as such, but then the Lord intervenes to fulfill his own purpose. It's amazing to see what the Lord does. He changes hearts. He changes minds. He makes a different way. He brings about peace. He brings about calamity. He builds up and he destroys. I can go on and on and on and on about what the Lord does. Sometimes it works out the way we like it and other times it doesn't. But no matter what, to God be the glory. Charles Spurgeon said this. Thou hast put me in this world for something. Lord, show me what that is and help me to work out my life purpose. I cannot do much. But as the widow put in her two mites, which were all her living, so, Lord, I cast my time and eternity, too, into thy treasury. I am thine. Take me and enable me to glorify thee now and all that I say and all that I do and with all that I have. Let me ask you this. How have your plans been frustrated by God? And what has been your reaction to that happening in your life? I pray this morning that you humble yourselves before the Lord. Know that he is God. And that you wholeheartedly trust his will for your life. Let's pray.